Hey there, everybody. My name is Wyatt Marchant. Welcome back to Sibylla Creek Conversations. In this episode, Paul and I are talking about the conflict that exists between the church, which is supposed to be a restorative, redemptive place, and the fact that there's still sin in it. There's people, so there's sin. So we talk about how Christ followers are supposed to engage with that problem and that conflict and how we can handle it in a healthy way. I also wanted to give you a heads up that after next Wednesday, we are going to be taking off for the holidays. So no new episodes after next Wednesday all the way through the end of December, and then we'll be back in January. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. It is part one of a two-part conversation. Yeah, I mean, to give you the broad picture, but in a short explanation, you know, I believe that God created the universe and all that it contains. He created it with purpose and design. Things were supposed to work a certain way as he, the creator, deemed wisest and best. And then sin enters the picture and complicates all of it. The natural world, the relational world, the social world, the personal world, um, and certainly the spiritual world. And so really what I think, you know, after Genesis 3... The rest of the story, the Bible is God's redemptive game plan mm. of restoring what has been broken. And uniquely, I think the church as a community of faith, not the building, not stained glass and steeples, but this community of people who share an affinity around faith in Jesus Christ is by nature a redemptive community that God intended to work through that group of people to bring about redemption back to our lives personally, certainly spiritually where it all begins with salvation, um, relationally, and I believe uh, on some scale socially. So that's what I'm thinking about as a redemptive community is a place where through the power of the truth of the gospel, God does his redeeming work. And certainly it's his work, but he designed the church to be an instrument through which redemption is accomplished in people's lives. And so starting with salvation, when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, they are redeemed from a salvific standpoint. But then there's just this whole transformation of a human life as they come to embrace the values, the priorities, the attitudes, the, the habits and lifestyle of Jesus is that God uses the community to bring that about, to shape that and to, you know, um, shave off the rough edges and provide accountability and support and encouragement and prayer and, and all of those essential activities of Christian community to where a life changes over time. Mm -hmm. And it's been fun here at Cibolo to like literally watch that happen. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over years. And, you know, I can just think of some wonderful stories of people who, when they came to Cibolo, they were a mess. And then watching God certainly do his work in their life from a uh, spiritual standpoint, but then using the body of Christ here at Cibolo Creek to continue to shape 
and uh, mature them toward a better reflection of Jesus. Um, it's a really it's a really exciting adventure to be a part of that kind of a church community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some of those some of those stories you've actually captured. So those of you listening, if you want to go onto our website, sibylcreek.com, there's um, a series from the summer of 2021 of 10 stories of life change. I think it's before and after, I think it's what it was yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of that redemptive process kind of taking place and continuing to take place, but there, there's some awesome, awesome stories. Um, so you have this redemptive community, and it the idea is to redeem out of a broken state, right? Yes. And it's supposed to be a place to where we can then rely on one another and and work together, all aimed towards Christ and the idea of, of becoming more and more like him. Um, but you said last time that, well, sin, because of what it is and because it's in each of us, even has its effect within a redemptive community. Is that right? Yeah. Um, you know, sin has impacted the lives of every human being. I mean, we're born with a sin nature. Um, we very naturally predispose toward doing that, which is wrong. Not, not all of our actions or all of our intentions are evil, but we have the capacity for that. Um, I mean, you don't have to teach a child how to lie or, um, you know, have to teach a child to uh, throw a temper tantrum. They learn that. I mean, they, they have that in them and that can just grow up and be big people that have that same sort of, you know, tendency toward wrong. And so like I, I tell our church family all the time, we open our doors every Sunday to anybody and everybody. We don't ask any questions of anybody who comes through the door. And since we're all coming in, the preacher included, we all come into it as sinners whose lives are sinful to, you know, one degree or another based on our own depravity. The truth of the matter is that the gathering of the church is a gathering of sinners. And we're a mess, and we're broken. And I think it's really sad. I mean, I understand it to a degree, but I think it's sad that largely for many churches, particularly on a Sunday morning gathering, I think the way that we generally present ourselves is that we have it all together. Yeah. We drive up in our nice car, and we have our you know nicest clothes on and hair combed and makeup on, and, and we kind of put on the face you know, this image that we want people to have of us, and we kind of put on the mask that, hey, life's good, and we say hi to each other. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. And the truth of the matter is oftentimes there's things that are hard, and we're struggling, and um, there's parts of us that are really broken, some parts more broken than others. And so it's unfortunate that the church can really cultivate a culture where everybody hides their mess from each other. And I, I'm not really expecting the Sunday morning service to be the place where all that hangs out, but um, that's the truth of who we are. And so it's inevitable that anytime you get a group of sinners together and they're kind of sharing life with each other, that that sin's going to show up. It's, you know, we're going to say or not say, we're going to do or not do something it's going to hurt somebody's feelings or offend somebody or make them angry or um, 
you know, create some sort of misunderstanding and offense between either two people or groups of people. And so, yeah, the church is sinners, so sin's going to show up. But that, that in no way threatens the idea of redemptive community because that's what the redemption's all about is, yeah. is coming to grips with our sin and pursuing, you know, God-anointed, God-designed solutions to um, facing it, overcoming it, and not allowing it to define our life. Yeah. Well, I think I, I love how, well, I guess how you said that, because I, a lot of younger people, particularly, um, they'll point out issues or problems that the church has done, or the church hurt them this way, or they did this. I just say the church, people within the church. Yeah. Um, and they'll always point to that as their justification for not going, as if, why would I want to be a part of that? And it's like, well, yeah, there's going to be some of that. That's kind of part and parcel of uh, people. Yeah, it, it's an easy um, out and seems like a noble, you know, good reason for not participating in a church because, well, I got hurt. Well, you know, welcome to the human life because there's going to be people who hurt you at work. Mm. There's going to be people who hurt you in your own home. Uh, there's going to be people who hurt you who are your friends. So if we're using hurt as the um, reason for why I don't participate, then you're going to be out of a job and you're not going to be a part of a family and you won't have any friends. I mean, the only way, and I'm being facetious here, but the, the only way to not get hurt in life or to not get offended is to live on an island all by yourself. And yeah. that right there is lonely and not the way that God intended any of us to live our life. And so using the, the, you know, the offense the church has created, you know, along the way is the reason why I don't pursue participation in a church is, it's just a lazy out, um, now, certainly there are probably extreme situations where it'd be best to separate company from a certain person or group of people or a church as a whole, but for the most part, that's not what people are talking about. They got their feelings hurt over something that was significant to them, but in the grand scheme of things isn't all that significant, and now they're just using it as a as a way to avoid... Um, to avoid having to do the hard work of following Jesus mm -hmm. because part of following Jesus, as we'll probably discuss later on in, in this podcast, part of following Jesus is going to the person that offended you and seeking reconciliation. But yeah. we don't want to do that because that's hard and uncomfortable. And so what we, we just bow out and we, we step away and go, well, they hurt my feelings. And I just say, yeah, <laughs> welcome to life. Welcome <laughs> to being a human and now what are, now what are we going to do about it that's healthy yeah yeah no that's so true and like i and i'm going to say this and not to put myself above or anything cuz i think i've even made the excuse or or even worse but people will use it as an excuse cuz it's not like they just stop associating with the community it's it, but but they keep up their good spiritual habits that's rarely the case in what i've seen it's like <laughs> well they stop associating with the community in kind of everything altogether <laughs> um then they just turn a completely different way. It's not just a, well, I don't want to go to the church anymore. Or I don't want to be involved in that. 
Um, yeah, actually, uh, what I've seen, I see this in adults, um, you know, the 40, 50, 60-something crowd. Um, really, the truth of the matter is they're mad at God for something, mm. and sometimes they'll just blame the church as a way of kind of fashionably pulling out of participation in all things spiritual community. And the truth of the matter is they're they're ticked off at God because of unanswered prayer or the loss of somebody that they loved or, you know, a job that didn't come through or, you know, a host of um, reasons. And so it's not fashionable to say, oh, I'm pissed off at God, and so I'm not going to have anything to do with him. (laughs) It's just easier to say, well, the church hurt my feelings, or the church did this stupid thing, and I didn't agree with it, so I'm, I'm leaving and it's been interesting, you know, I, as a pastor of a church for 25 years now, I've had two observations about people who leave um, Cibolo Creek. And I'm not saying this is true of every single one, but largely some people never participate at another church. They just, they just stop or are very sporadic. Um, others move on to other churches but never quite get involved to the degree that they were and maybe that's as some sort of a protection um, defense mechanism of keeping their heart from getting hurt again but um, yeah I think you're right is is a lot of people step away from the church but then they really end up neglecting their whole spiritual discipline of pursuing Christ yeah and then I'm I'm just never going to let anybody off the hook that um, pursuing Christ means pursuing participation in a local church family. Yeah, um, they aren't they aren't separable. Separable. You can't follow Christ and do it as a lone ranger, kind of out doing your own thing. Um, part of the call of Christ in our life is biblical community and redemptive community and so participating in some expression of that is is a non-negotiable in my mind yeah no and i'd agree i'd agree i mean if for at the very least it's because we don't know everything and we're gonna be making mistakes when um we don't know their mistakes yet but others might right uh, like i you've you're older than me i, I see you as more wise so i would just, i would hope that if I were making a mistake, you would call me out in that kind of way. Right. Um, but, but anyways, so whenever we look at these, I guess these effects of sin and, and, and us being broken, um, on a personal level, sins kind of, I think it's the way it's discussed more broadly is that, well, we can or can't do this or we should or shouldn't do this. And I know that's like a very simplistic version, but on a personal level is kind of how we, I think a lot of the time people think about sin. What does sin look like on a more relational level within the context of a community? Yeah. Um, you know, we tend to think of sin in extremes. The average person operates from a definition of extremes when it comes to sin. So sin is murder, and sin is armed robbery, mm-hmm. and sin is rape, and sin is genocide. But what we have to understand is 
the scriptures define it in a much more comprehensive fashion, and um, it's much more pervasive. It it affects and impacts every dimension of our lives personally and and socially. And so, you know, when we were talking about this a couple weeks ago in church, I was I was highlighting some of the personal expressions of this impact of sin. These aren't necessarily I'm not I'm not prepared to say they are sin, but these are the um effects mm. of sin. And so I listed because we were talking we were going to be talking about um relational reconciliation. Um some of the ways that sin expresses or is evidenced in our lives is things like insecurities just the general feeling of fear or anxiety about who we are in the world Mm. Uh, insecurities are essentially i don't feel safe with who i am i don't feel safe in the company of other people i don't feel important or value and so we uh, an insecure person generally lives with a certain amount of anxiety about situations that they're in. So they're afraid of failure. They're afraid of what other people think of them. Um, They're afraid of not being perfect or performing uh, to the best of their ability every single time. These are all insecurities. We can be insecure about how we look, um, a host of expressions of insecurity. And, and, you know, I've always shared with the with people, the fact that we tend to think of insecurities as like something a 15 year old kid deals with (laughs) as they're kind of struggling coming, they're moving from childhood to young adulthood and you got hormones raging and, and they're just trying to find their place in the world and they can be, you know, incredibly insecure. But the truth of the matter is that the insecure 14 year old who never, ever really deals with their insecurity, never really figures out why they, look at themselves the way they do and they never address it they just grow up to be 40 year old insecure people and while our insecurities as 40 year olds may be a bit more sophisticated in how they show themselves or how we uh, live them out they're every bit as destructive they're every bit as crippling so uh, insecurities can be an expression of the impact of sin in our life Uh, dysfunctions Mm. um we all have them. We generally learn them from our family of origin, the people that we grew up around. We just learn these ways of behaving, and they're not always healthy. And so we, like a lot of us, can go through life as an adult and never even know that some of what we do is not functional. It's not a healthy or appropriate or even normal way of behaving but that's all we've ever known yeah and so again in the in the topic of relational reconciliation dysfunction can be the person who when they get angry they they just yell and scream and power up and kind of Mm -hmm. you know intimidate people well that's dysfunction um we were never intended to handle conflict in that way but that's some people that's all they know yeah because that's what they learned in their home um, other people, they learned a different way of dealing with conflict in the homes they grew up in. They learned sort of this passive-aggressive isolation withdrawal mm-hmm. approach. So, you know, something flares up, people get in an argument, they may say some mean things, and then everybody you know, gets in their car and drives away or goes to their bedroom or starts watching TV. And we're just isolating 
from each other to avoid the pain. And that's dysfunctional. That's not how we are intended to resolve conflict. And, you know, it's interesting, my home that I grew up in, or maybe I should say me, I'm kind of, you know, I tend more toward the passive aggressive side and I isolate and I freeze people out. And I know that about myself. Um, the weird thing is we, we don't always know how to get back <laughs> yeah. to a place of normal and, and we don't apologize and we don't sit down and have a discussion. Hey, can we talk about the big fight or that thing that we disagree about? We just try to find some kind of, you know, normal way to ease back in. And we say, Hey, will you pass the cereal? Or can you pick mm -hmm. the kids from school, pick up the kids from school today? Or, you know, what's your, what's your plans for the evening? And we just sort of start trying to pick up again. Mm -hmm. We never really cycle back and repair the damage of the thing. That's a dysfunction. That's such a good one, too. And you like me. If you don't think you have dysfunctions, get married. <laughs> and you'll see that you both have them. Like, I'm in the process of, I mean, I have a fiance and we're planning all that stuff. But, like, goodness gracious. And she, I, I'm more prone to be argumentative. She's right. more prone to a draw. So both of us are having to, like, really really kind of deal with that and you know, amongst other things but yeah if you don't think you have oh, those functions yeah ask if you're already married ask your wife or your husband they'll let you know <laughs> that's a, that's a good one <laughs> um, and then the other you know the other ways that sin impacts sometimes it's very uh, traumatic it's wounds like honest mm -hmm. wounds that people have suffered in life, whether that was physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse, or they witnessed something horrific and it has genuinely impacted the whole structure of their mind and how they look at life from that point on. So, you know, it's not sin to have been wounded, but that's the nature of sin is that it wounds. Yeah. And we live in a world where we get wounded and that those wounds have an impact then on how we relate to other people. Some some people who've been severely wounded in life, um, they have a hard time trusting. Yep. And so sin has had an edge then in creating a, a human being who is untrusting of other people. And that affects our relational um, camaraderie with others. And, um, and then one that I, I do think I can identify this is sin but it's again the impact of sin is just plain arrogance there's some people who are so full of themselves that they can't ever be wrong mm. they're only right so in an argument or in a, in a point of conflict they will never ever see that that they might have had some responsibility to what happened in the conflict they're never going to say they're sorry they're never going to repent and and apologize for something that they've done to contribute and the person who's that arrogant will only live from the perspective that everybody else is at fault mm. and again that's the impact of sin sin creates that kind of arrogance in in our hearts and so these are just some of the examples of not dramatic sin like we think of murder, but the impact of sin that's created these complications in our life, insecure, like insecurities and dysfunctions and wounds and, and arrogance. And all of this, it's inevitable. It's going to have an impact on our relationships. Yep. 
Because the insecure person, they never approach a relationship with any sort of trust or feeling of safety. And so they're always, you know, they're always listening for, oh, he said something, oh, that hurt my feelings. And the person never intended that at all. But the insecure person always hears and experiences things from a very unsafe place. Mm -hmm. And so somebody just doesn't say something quite like they were expecting it. And now their feelings are hurt and they're mad at that person. Um, dysfunctional people, we all um, bring that dysfunction into our relationships. And at times it can be hurtful. And um, the same with wounds. Uh, it's because of the, my role as a pastor, I often get invited into the very personal side of people's story. And wow, I've, I've sat with folks either in their living room or in my office and I've you know heard stories of really, really painful experiences in life. And then being aware of that, watching how they experience church, mm. um, how they experience like a community group, how they experience a Bible study, how they experience a prayer gathering. Their wound is so deep and it's created um, such a um, fear in their life or such a pain in their life that they, they, you can, I can just sort of watch them struggling to relate. And... Um, it's just an interesting journey to try to, you know, come alongside of them and encourage them to move beyond their wound. Do you think that they, people who have been hurt or who have experienced that kind of um, pain, uh, have a difficult time relating because of this proclivity that we have not to be uh, more transparent and open with our own issues? Oh, without a doubt. Um, without a doubt. Uh, people who've been wounded um, are just that much more reticent to put themselves in a position to be hurt again. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, like divorce is an incredibly traumatic wound. And for both men and women... And I, I've seen stories of men who were so hurt by their divorce and the circumstances surrounding it that, wow, they really struggle with being in relationship with anybody. It's, it's not about like a woman went through a divorce and now she has a hard time trusting men. No, a woman who goes through a divorce, a very traumatic divorce, can just have a hard time trusting. Yeah. So she doesn't trust other women. She doesn't trust other men. She doesn't trust authority. She doesn't trust anybody who wants to try to get close to her. Because it's not about she's mad and disappointed in men. She's mad and disappointed about the hurt related to a relationship mm -hmm. that was defined by commitment. And so then the commitment was broken. You know, the vow was broken and the the commitment to that marriage was violated. So now she or he's just operating from this general wound that there's no such thing as anybody honoring a commitment to me. Yeah. So now I live in suspicion of everybody. And, um, and so then, and I get, I, this is the unfortunate part of, 
I think the contemporary church, or maybe it's just the Church of America, um, because we put these masks on that we want everybody to think we're okay, um, it's hard for somebody to penetrate behind that, that wall that people put up. And for the person who's been severely wounded, their wall is extra high and extra thick. Yeah. So f- for anybody trying to scale that wall or get through it, it's just harder. And so, yeah, I, I think someone who's been wounded deeply is going to struggle a l- little bit more than others when it comes to enjoying uh, the nature of redemptive community. Yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's harder. Well, no, I, I agree because it's like I think vulnerability has to play with that too because, I mean, we do all naturally put up some kind of mask, some kind of to yeah. cover up ourselves. To I mean, and, and to a certain degree, it's, it is wise to a certain degree, just out everywhere. But in the context of a redemptive community, hope, we would hope that that wouldn't necessarily be the case. But we expose ourselves and trust someone enough to be completely vulnerable t- towards them and them to see us vulnerable. And then if they break that trust, they're going to think, well, that's the way somebody reacted the last time I mm-hmm. showed who I was yeah, with all yeah. my mess. And if they're going to react that way, well, I'm not going to run off everybody else. I can't, I don't want to be alone. Sure, sure. And so. Yeah. And I've always said that vulnerability and transparency is best served in small groups of people, very tight circles. Um, I don't, I don't have any ambitions that vulnerability and transparency is just we let everything hang out everywhere we go. Yeah, no. And certainly the, the gathering of a Sunday morning, you know, service of the entire church community together, it can have a place, but it's not the place. So, like, you were talking earlier about the stories that we do in a summer where people share the story. That's a great place for people to be very vulnerable, but that person's agreed to that. And they said, yes, I'll tell my story. And, and it's interesting to watch different people tell their story and some are more willing to give maybe some of the, the gory details and others just say there are gory details, but I'm not going into them. Um, we're not interested in re trauma traumatizing them. So we just tell them, you know, tell what you're comfortable telling, share what you're comfortable sharing. But um, so that's a way that you can model transparency and vulnerability by telling the truth in a Sunday morning experience. But it's not the place. Mm-mm. And, you know, your first week at a new life group probably isn't the place because what are you doing? You're sizing everyone up and trying to get a feel are these safe people and so even within a life group, there may be only a couple people that you feel so comfortable with that it's over coffee at a restaurant in the morning with somebody that you say, hey, I need to, I need, I'd like to let you in on something that is true about me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that new episodes are released every Wednesday. If you'd like to listen to our Sunday morning messages, you can find those by searching Cibolo Creek Messages. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about Cibolo Creek Community Church, you can find us at CiboloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.